Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Her. We're going to turn to Daniel chapter number 4 this evening. Uh, this is where we're going. Daniel 4 has 37 verses. <clears throat> but with that being said, uh, I think we can get through all of it tonight. Uh, the Old Testament is a little different from the, some of the New Testament epistles. You can have a chapter of 12 verses, and it takes three weeks to get through one of those chapters. Um, but the Old Testament, sometimes there's just a lot of narration that's going on, and so we can look at those this evening. Hallelujah. Daniel chapter number 4, and I'm going to read some of the closing verses to this chapter this evening. Some of the closing verses, starting with verse number 34. Daniel 4 and verse number 34. The Bible states these words, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Amen. Tonight my subject matter is simply this, a walk in pride. A walk in pride. Let's pray together, if you will. Jesus, I come to you tonight. Lord, I just depend upon you, Lord, in this service. Open, Lord, our hearts to receive something from the Scriptures. I pray, God, as we are in this study on the book of Daniel, enlighten us tonight. God, I'm leaning on you. I've, I've put, Lord, my feet forward, Lord, in planning, organizing, studying, praying, Lord Jesus, for this service and this lesson as I have, Lord, in times past. And so I just place it before you, Lord, and these people. Lord, again this evening, I'm praying, God, that you give, Lord, the increase, God, in this house tonight. God, I pray, oh, Lord, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ Jesus. God, for the next little while, I pray. Lord, I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Before we go forward tonight, I want to go backward, and I know that uh, makes it difficult to get anywhere, but just trust me. I want to go backward just here for a little bit and, and take a look backward for a moment because we have uh, made mention of in past lessons how that there is this fixation, if you will, on the concept of an image. We have already seen that in the book of Daniel. This word uh, image has popped up already a few different times in the Bible in Daniel uh, with the dream, the first dream that he had, the image that he seen, and uh, the image that he built that was completely of gold. And likewise, though, not just the concept of the word image do we see that's going to be popping up in the book of Daniel, but also the word uh, beast is also in the book of Daniel. 
And it seems like these things that come about, image and beast that are in the book of Daniel, already are forecasting and alluding to, if you will, some point in the future in the last days, whenever we understand there will be an image and a beast as well. Even his number, as we've seen, I think it was two weeks ago, talking about that number of 603 score and 6, or 666. Um, and there are very well, maybe, I should say, uh, some types. We've seen that in the Old Testament. A lot of times there's types. And, you know, the tabernacle is a large type uh, for some things of the New Testament Scripture. And it's not just regulated to the book of Exodus, but there are a lot of other uh, chapters and verses in the Bible that are types. And it may be very well that in Daniel there are some types that are exposed in the book of Daniel uh, that are referencing some point of time in the future. Uh, for instance, in the story of the fiery furnace that we studied a couple weeks ago, uh, there could be some events in that itself that point toward a time of some happenings that will happen in the last day. For instance, uh, some of the things that are pictured, and I'm going backward here just a little bit, in, in chapter number 3 of that story of the fiery furnace could very well picture some events that will take place during the time that is known as the tribulation period or even the great tribulation period in, uh, further down in our future. Daniel uh, is speaking of the time of tribulation, even in the book of Daniel, uh, which will come upon all the Jews. Amen. He speaks of it as being a time in Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 1. He speaks of it as a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. Notice, and at... That time by people shall be delivered and everyone that shall be found, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So he speaks even in Daniel of a time that would be coming, be a time of great trouble that never had been known in the nation before. And I think that's, and this is kind of maybe a little ahead, uh, finally when we get to the book of Revelation, but it's important to denote that it's going to be a time like it's never been before. Uh, some people believe today that we're living in the tribulation time. Uh, well, you know, we got wars, rumors of wars, we got pestilence and we got hunger and all that stuff, but that just seems a regular run of the mill for our day and age. Whenever this comes, it's going to be like a time that's never been. It's going to be like an unprecedented time. There, you're not going to have no other point of reference in history that you'll be able to pin and say, well, this is kind of like that. No, it's going to be like a time that was never been. Even Jesus, in speaking of that period of time of tribulation, spoke in Matthew 24, verse 21, that it would be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall it be. So it's going to be a time set apart all by itself. And so uh, the trouble which the Jews will endure during the dark days of the tribulation uh, is somewhat, if you will, likened to the fiery furnace of Daniel chapter number 3. As a matter of fact, whenever John wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote about those who have overcome the beasts on this wise in Revelation 15 and verse 2. This is what John records in Revelation. He says, I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having harps of God amen so the fiery furnace that we seen in Daniel chapter 3 that they were thrown into uh, spoke 
to a certain degree, if we're talking about types, to a certain degree speaks of the fiery trial uh, which the Jews, the remnant of the Jews, might you say, will endure even in the last days during the tribulation. Zechariah, one of the Jews' prophets, predicted what would happen to them in the last days. Zechariah 13 and verse number 9, the Bible says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people. And they shall say, The Lord is my God. And that is what happened in Daniel 3. Uh, these three Hebrew boys, there were other Jewish people in Babylon, but these three here stayed committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, called him their God. And as a result of that, he delivered them out of their fiery trial, amen, and, and told basically that they were his, they were his people. When we consider this idea again of types, in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, to a certain degree, is kind of like the type of the man of sin that will be in the last day, or if you will, the Antichrist. Because if you consider it, uh, Nebuchadnezzar set up the image as we, uh, when this is a little, little review, but he set up that image and he demanded all people to worship it. And as we said a couple weeks ago, Revelation 13, 15, in the last days, there will be that one who will stand and he had power to give light, the Bible says, into the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So you see a little bit of a parallel. It's kind of a type in Daniel, but the fulfillment then uh, later on in the last days. Even in chapter 4, that we will get into this evening, we find that Nebuchadnezzar underwent a period of time in his life uh, that he was, as the Bible says, basically an ox, out in the grass, eating grass. Uh, he had, his hair was like the feathers of eagles. His, his, his nails, fingernails, was like uh, the claws uh, of an animal. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar underwent a time in his life that his man's heart was taken away and his heart was changed. The Bible says in Daniel 4, 16, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, let his heart be changed from a man's and let a beast heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. So, again, we see the terminology of image, we see the terminology of beast, and so this begins to develop in the book of Daniel, and it'll find its completion and capstone in the book of Revelation. It's repeated over and over and over again. Also, concerning types, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, man, we're going to write a doctrine about this, it's just, just food for thought, things for consideration. In Daniel chapter number 3 with the three Hebrew guys, remember, Daniel was not present, was he? He's nowhere to be found. Daniel was not present. We don't know where he was. He might have been on business. He was a pretty high ruler within the kingdom. He could have been on business. I don't know. But the, 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 the basic idea is this, is that he was not there. And, uh, and if it seemed like in the beginning, if it seemed like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was kind of riding on the coattail of Daniel, uh, we see that they had some of their own convictions by chapter number 3 because Daniel's nowhere to be found. He's not there, yet he's still standing tall. Yet, another, nonetheless, staying with this idea of some types, uh, Daniel, this is just, a, I know these can be some large possibilities, but Daniel could, uh, to a certain degree, picture the church. Because where's Daniel at? He's not to be found. He's not there. And if the fiery furnace was a type 
of the tribulation, Daniel's gone before that ever happens. And if he could symbolize the church, I know, and this is still a a very popular and heated debate today about pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation debate about whether the church is going to be out of here before their tribulation at a three and a half period, three and a half year period interim of time in the middle of the tribulation, or the church is going to go through the tribulation and then be out of here. But uh, perhaps the book of Daniel is foreshadowing the rapture of the church prior to the tribulation. If Daniel is in fact a type of the church. But now you can't get just totally sewed into all of this type, 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 <laughs> type business because there's a lot of different types in Scripture, amen, that are limited. They go along very good, but they don't totally spell everything out. and They're not always cohesive, in other words. Uh, what I mean is, uh, in Daniel chapter number 3, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after they came out of the furnace, they were rewarded by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we know the type falls apart right there because in the latter days, uh, the Jews that go through the Great Tribulation are not going to be rewarded by the Antichrist. <laughs> All right? Amen. So, so they're going to be rewarded by the King of Kings, not the man of sin. So uh, they can only go so far. So again, what I'm saying is I'm not asking you with what I've just said. I'm not, I'm not asking us to formulate some type of doctrine on top, on top of all this. But what I want you to do is stir up your thinking. That as you're reading the book of Daniel and you're considering what we're talking about, I want you to consider the truth of the matter that's being stated that we have stated and I'll reiterate till Christ comes. And that is this system has been around for years. This system has been around for years and is still in existence today and will be until the Lord comes back. That's what I want us to grab a hold of. That this didn't just, this isn't just, you know, the year 2014 and wow, it's just, this has just come about. No. This has been around for a long, long time, has had a lot of different phases, a lot of different names, and a lot of different guises that it's served under, but it's been here all along working in some form or fashion. Now, if we can go to the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 tonight, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, and to all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. He says, I thought it good to shew the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking here. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. You'll note this evening that in the beginning of the chapter, and we've already read the verses in the end of the chapter, that some of the language here is exactly the same in the beginning and in the end, such as his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar says, and his dominion is from generation to generation. What we have in Daniel chapter number four, it's kind of different from anything we've had thus far in Daniel. What we have in Daniel four is an actual proclamation from the king Nebuchadnezzar. It's a proclamation from the king to all the people that's under his rule, to all the people that's in his jurisdiction. It's a little bit unusual because Nebuchadnezzar is given this proclamation. Daniel feels as though inspired that it should be included in the Holy Writ. Amen. So he's taken this down. But the proclamation that's in Daniel 4 is given after Nebuchadnezzar himself has went through a very horrid event and hoard affair of his own life. 
And because of this event and affair that he's went through in his own life, now he's turning around and he's sharing this almost like a testimony. He's sharing it with all of his kingdom. And so he's looking backwards, really, in Daniel chapter number 4. And one of the phrases that he even starts Daniel 4 with, he says, peace be multiplied unto you. Now, something's going on with King Nebi here. Because peace be multiplied from you would not be common speech from King Nebi. That's just not how he spoke. He's a heathen king. Uh, history records he was pretty ruthless. He's a, he was a very difficult man. Uh, he didn't treat his people or his subjects very fair or very nice. So him to say peace be unto you, that's just outside of his normal character, the way that he is illustrated. I mean, just think for a moment, folks. Last chapter, people that was serving as high officials in his kingdom, he was willing to put in a fiery furnace. You know. This is the guy that you could shake hands with at noon and he could slap your face by the time the evening came. You know, so whenever he's saying peace be, there's something going on in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the portions of scriptures that we have. And this is interesting. This is related now by a Gentile king. He's, he's, he's relaying all this information. We don't see that. Everything else uh, in scripture, by and large, was written by a Jew or a Hebrew, maybe not Luke. There's debate whether or not Luke was a Gentile, but everything else was written by a Jew. But here we have a portion of scripture that comes from a Gentile king because he had a testimony, in essence, that he wanted all of his kingdom and all his people to hear about. Now note, note what Nebuchadnezzar is admitting. This is big for Nebuchadnezzar. He's speaking of God and saying his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And he wants all of his kingdom to know that. He wants all of Babylon to know that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Now, why is that a little difficult? Because did we not read of his first dream in chapter 2 where it was relayed to him that King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold, but there's going to be another kingdom to rise after you that's inferior to you that's going to overtake you. And then we read chapter 3 and we begin to think maybe he really didn't like what happened with the dream that was told because now he makes his own image out of pure goat from top to bottom, maybe saying that this is all of Babylon and it's going to be here and they're going to worship and my kingdom's not going to end. You know, I'm going to have all the eggs in my basket and I'm not sharing and it's going to be mine and this is the way it's going to be. But now it seems like he's beginning to accept the fact that God is going to have a kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom. And I believe his statement. Uh, the, the, the two statements at the beginning of this chapter are like two bookends that hold his testimony together. I believe everything that he said before and after has a lot to do with what happened in between, what happened in his own individual life. And in the beginning of chapter 4, if you start reading chapter 4, anybody read it? Sister Sheila probably did. She's been doing that. If, if you read Daniel chapter 4 and you begin to read it, you almost think you're reading the beginning of Daniel chapter 3 all over again. You begin to read, and it's almost like, man, is, this, is he just recounting some events? Is this the same thing all over? But it's not. Nebuchadnezzar is having a new dream, and this dream is trouble, troubling him, though, just like though his first dream that he had that troubled him. And it seems to follow some of the same pattern in that he brings all of his wise men in again, and he wants them to interpret his dream. And uh, wouldn't you know, guess what? They could not do it. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
And here even this time, he could remember his dream. It's not like they had to tell him the dream and the interpretation. He just won the interpretation. They couldn't do it. So yet again, here comes in Daniel. He has Daniel come in. And Daniel, very valuable to interpreting dreams. We know that from the past. And now the king hasn't forgotten. He just needs to know the meaning. And Daniel's that, and he gives it right to him. Now, I'm doing this because I know maybe there's probably some, I know very few, that probably didn't read Daniel chapter number four, okay? And Daniel chapter number four in verse number 10, this is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. In verse number 10, the Bible says, Thus were the visions, this is Nebuchadnezzar now, thus were the visions of my head in my bed. Say that five times fast. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached into heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it, and all the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass. In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Just a few more verses. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him. Let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. So that was the dream that he dreamed. Wouldn't you love to have a dream like that? That is the dream that he dreamed. Now here is a sneaking suspicion. I don't believe that the king was totally ignorant about what this particular dream meant. Quite as much as he was the first dream that he had forgotten. Stephen Haskell in his book, The Story of Daniel the Prophet, and he says, about for 13 years the city of Tyre resisted every effort made by Nebuchadnezzar. Finally he was successful but gained no spoils, and the Lord rewarded Nebuchadnezzar for his work by sending word to him through the prophet Ezekiel that he would have the spoil of Egypt as wages for his, war, for his army. In other words, whenever he went and fight against Tyre and he conquered them, there was no spoils. Usually whenever you overtook a city, you got the spoils of the city. That was your reward. But he didn't have that when he fought against Tyre. But God said, I'm going to take care of this. He's going to be able to get the spoils of Egypt. I'm going to let him overtake Egypt. And there's a bunch of spoil whenever you go taking over Egypt. And that's going to be wages for his Tyre conquering and his Egypt conquering. And the Bible relates to us. Ezekiel, another prophetic book, Ezekiel chapters 30 through 32. Uh, Ezekiel was, again, prophesying along some of the same times as Daniel was. He was a captive, a man in Babylon. But whenever he, he viewed the capture of Egypt by Nebuchadnezzar, he used some of this same terminology and representation. He let Egypt be as a mighty tree in Scripture. 
Amen. As a matter of fact, it spoke of Egypt, its tree towering above all the other trees of the earth, that even the trees of Eden would envy uh, the splendor of this tree. And the terminology was that even the fowls of heaven nested in its in its branches in that the host of the earth even came underneath its shadow this tree of Egypt that God had sent Babylon to to hew down to the ground and whenever it crashed it shook the earth that's related in Ezekiel now the prophecy must have that prophecy because the king of Babylon was going to take over Egypt that would have been Nebuchadnezzar the prophecy must have been known to Nebuchadnezzar if not before he conquered Egypt, definitely after he took uh, the, 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 the ownership in conquering Egypt. And with that being said, understanding the terminology of this tree stuff, he had to know that trees sometimes represent kingdoms and nations. Amen. And so he's probably, I'm saying that he might have had a sneaking suspicion about what the dream was that he was dreaming was about because he might have been thinking concerning that prophecy and how that related to him overcoming Egypt and they were supposed to be a high tree. He's probably wondering who or what kingdom is this tree in my dream representing. And he may have been afraid and troubled because the image that he dreamed of in chapter 2 illustrated partially his kingdom that would one day be overtook and destroyed by another kingdom. And now there's a tree in his dream that's going to be hewn, the Bible says, according to the dream, down. And then things turn worse because in his dream, these things called a watcher and a holy one comes down. Now, I don't have no explanation for that except they be in some type of angelic visitation. But the watcher and the holy one come down and their, their cry is this. Hew down the tree and cut off. Notice now, though, what changes here in verse number 14. Cut off his, everybody say his. Cut off his branches. So there's already a little revelation coming within the dream because before, whenever it spoke of the tree, it always referred to it as it. But now the watcher and the holy one has come down and said, hew down the tree, and rather than saying cut off its branches, they say cut off his branches the watcher and the holy one begin to personify the tree it's not just a it it has a personal pronoun now of his in other words this tree stands for someone amen the bible says in verse 19 that after daniel heard what the dream was that he was basically astonished for one hour and thoughts troubled him now, boys, it's getting really bad. Whenever you're troubled by the dream, the one you want to get interpreted after they hear it, they're troubled by it too. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> we're talking about some bad stuff going on right now. And so he's, he's, he's troubled by it. And listen, Daniel is not scratching his head about the interpretation because that wisdom comes from God. He's told us that before. He's not worried about that. So he's not astonished because he's worried about an interpretation. That comes from God. But maybe Daniel is more worried about because he knows what the interpretation is. Have you ever had bad news and not really wanted to share it with whoever the bad news was about? You know, you come in, what do you like first? You want the good news or the bad news? <laughs> you don't want to share it. And so here's Daniel. He served under the king for all these years. 
no doubt there's a little bit of affection there, although he's heathen, there's, you know, he's been with him all these years. He understands what the interpretation is, and it wasn't good news. He's kind of hesitant, and the king says, Daniel, don't you be, you know, don't worry about it. Don't be troubled. Just tell, you know, if layman's turn, just tell me like it is. All right, here you go, king. And so Daniel begins to recount the details of this tree dream as the king had told it to him, and he states very plainly, and here, this is the awesome thing about Daniel for the most part. You know, there's times he just comes right out and tells you what something means. I like that. <laughs> I, can, I can deal with that. Just tell me what it means. And he comes right out and tells the king very plainly in this dream that the tree, and he goes through all the lists that the king did, basically, the tree, it is thou, he says, O king. The tree is you. Amen. The tree is you. The Bible spoke of that tree as being in the midst of the earth. Babylon, where Nebuchadnezzar was king of, was about just about in the center of the then known world. He says, you are the tree. And here's the bad news. King, you're going to be driven from men. You're going to dwell with the beast of the field. You're going to eat the grass as an ox. Your dew's going to saturate you. Uh, you're going to have eagle's feathers. Your nails are going to be like bird's claws. And, uh, and I know this seems kind of bogus to us. I mean, when's the last time you've seen a human being out eating grass and got feathers like an eagle and claws like a, like a bird? But um, there are documented cases of this very medical condition that can happen to people, and some that are documented that it has happened, absolutely, to someone that this is something that has actually happened. And to make turn you know, insult into injury, he said it's going gonna, it's gonna to pass over, last for seven times, which mostly accepted and, and described in the literal sense, it's going to be that way for seven years. Now, for seven years, here's a man like you and I that's going to be scrounging around in the grass, eating it, got eagle's feathers. He's got the Guinness World Book of Records fingernails going on, <laughs> scratching around in the dirt. Who once was in the pomp and the prestige of a kingdom, he is the most known king, in the region because he's conquered everything. He has all types of subjects. And for seven years, he's going to be out grazing in a field somewhere. Amen. And one of the lessons that was trying to be taught in all of this is that God rules the kingdom of men. And we don't have any room or reason for pride. Nebuchadnezzar had become prideful. Yes, he had. He is well known for being a conqueror. He has conquered many other nations. He's tightening up his belt. He's feeling pretty good about his accomplishments, so to speak. And he become very prideful. And that goes tongue and groove with the whole idea, feeling, attitude of the system that we've been talking about. It all has to do with pride. Pride is the roots of the system. All the way back with Nimrod, again, it was pride. Let us make us a name. Pride. Lest we be scattered or brought up on the face of the earth. Pride. We'll build a tower that reaches unto heaven. Pride. And God hates pride. And by and large, pride is the root of most, if not, every other sin that arises upon the face of the earth. They can find their stitch in their place of beginning back at pride. 
Nebuchadnezzar in mind, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, pride, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, pride made the boaster a beast as once before it made an angel a devil. Pride. 1 Timothy 3 and 6 states this. It says, and, and we'll explain this, but not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. In 1 Timothy 3, what is happening here is the qualifications that are being given for a bishop, or if you will, an overseer, and listed among 1 Timothy chapter 3, one of those qualifications is that that man or that person be not a novice. And so it gives us though the reason why the man should not be a novice. This way he would be less likely to be lifted up with pride and fall into, note now, the condemnation of the devil. Because the condemnation of the devil, or could I say it like this, what condemned the devil was his pride as an angel, as the cherub that covereth. Furthermore, as a side note, if I might state, I think this verse in Timothy also tells us that a novice in any area of life may have a tendency more of being the prideful one than the mature one. Have someone just enter in, start, you know, um, someone starting to something that they, they've never done before and they start doing it and they get this sense of accomplishment. Call it whatever you will. I'm sure, Brother Fred, you've probably seen it at the fire department. Get somebody wet behind the ears in there, start being a volunteer firefighter. They get a few classes under their belt and stuff, and boy, they're almost about ready to whip the dogs, you know. They're, they're walking high cotton. What is that? That's pride. It can be found in the novices for sure because they've not been in the hottest fire yet and their life might hasn't only maybe not been taken quite yet and all these other things. They haven't had any humbling experiences to bring them down a few notches. Pride. Everybody say pride. Pride will be the root of many sins throughout Scripture. It was for the adversary, the devil. The Bible says in Daniel 4 and verse number 4, this was the attitude of Nebuchadnezzar right before he had this dream looking backwards. He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. Again, Nebuchadnezzar had been a fighter. He's a warrior. He's conquering kingdoms. He's conquering nations. But see, he's basically conquered almost everything he could conquer now. So now he's kicking up his feet at home. He's at rest. He's thinking about the Assyrians and the Egyptians and all these other people that he's conquered and that he's taken this long warfare that he's had. And he's thinking pretty good about himself. He's at rest. He must have been reveling in his accomplishments. Drunk on his own success. What was going on? He was feeling prideful. I want you to just consider something for a moment. And I don't know if this is the case in every case, but it is in this one. The very thing that Nebuchadnezzar was prideful about was taken from him. And I've seen in my personal experience people that come to places that's been prideful over their looks and something catastrophic happen in their life to mar that. I've seen people prideful over their success in jobs and something come along to remove that. God knows how to deal with our pride and a lot of times he deals it with whatever we're prideful about. Amen. 
And so here's this long life. And don't forget that, that, that this book of Daniel began by telling us, if you remember back in chapter 1, that whenever Nebuchadnezzar went to go take the king of Judah, don't forget, I may mention this before, let me rehearse it in your ear, that the Bible says that the Lord gave the king of Judah unto Nebuchadnezzar. So before you start boasting, Nabby, about all these battles you won, you better think for a moment that God might be giving some of these to you with design and with purpose and all that. You didn't do all this by your own hand. This is not your all of your doings. It's, and it happens. Listen, it happens to us all. We are all, all, A-L-L, capitalized A-L-L, all subjected to pride. We are. It's the vice of the system. Amen. It spin tells other things, other sins with an S on it in our life. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 6, the Bible says, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. Don't think of us any more than what you ought to think of us. That no one of you be puffed up for one against another. In other words, don't be thinking that you're better than somebody else. Verse number seven, for who maketh thee to differ from one another? Now notice this phrase, the, the rest of this. And what, this is important, and what hast thou, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? In other words, what do you have right now that you didn't get or receive? How in the world can you go around spouting, amen, like you didn't get it, but it just kind of flowed from you and take the glory for it if you indeed if you indeed received it from another. In other words, everything we have in this life, and you've heard me rave all over this, and I will this year too. It all comes from God. It all comes from God. Your health, your wealth, it all comes from God. The things we're prideful over. Why did I stand proud about that? I got that from somewhere. If you are good looking and I'm scratching my head trying to find at least one tonight, but <laughs> I'm just joking. You got that from somewhere. And some of you don't want to try to spin, put any stars on your mom and dad, but you got it from somewhere. Well, glory. <laughs> we can't boast and walk around and glory as though we didn't. Pride is very vicious. It's so vicious that in Proverbs chapter number six, pride is listed as the first of the seven deadly sins. Number one, pride. After Daniel, look now, after Daniel gives the king the interpretation, Daniel tries to counsel the king on how to respond to what he's heard. He's a, this is a good preacher right here. Here's a good man of God. Here you go. This is how you should respond. I try to do it sometimes in close your service. This is how we should respond to what we've heard. And so here's Daniel. He's trying to tell the king, this is how you should respond to what you've heard. Amen. His basic instruction can be found in verse number 27. Amen. And let me read it. He says, 
Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thy iniquities by shewing mercy to the poor if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Here's layman's terms. King, here's my counsel. Here's how you should respond to what I've told you. You got to stop doing the wrong and start doing the right. Because this could affect the length of peace that you have before all this falls apart. But if you do this, it may never come, but it still might. But it could lengthen the time frame that you still got some peace before all this happens. And I believe there's a lesson here in what Daniel was telling the king. I believe it's important. I think Daniel was stressing this. It's important, listen, not only to stop the wrongdoing, but to fill that void with the right doing. Because stopping the wrong leaves a void. Stopping the wrong leaves a void. But if right doing, if right doing doesn't fill the void, you know what there's a tendency for? The rebirth, the refilling of the wrongdoing. And so there's a reason why that Daniel says, King, you got to stop doing what's wrong, but wait, don't stop there. You got to start doing what's right. Because if you don't start doing what's right, you'll have a tendency to go back to do what you was customary for you. What was, what's your nature? What Paul McGee's nature is. My nature is to be prideful. Yeah. My, my nature is to be mean and ugly. Yeah. My, my, my nature is, is all of the horrific things that you can list on a list. That's my nature. That's my Adamic nature. And so if I'm going to try to stop doing all that, that's great. But i got to start doing the right. Because if I don't, I'm going to go back to what Paul McGee is by nature. Mean and ugly and prideful. Amen. So we got to stop doing the wrong and start doing the right. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 28. And the Bible says, look now. He's, He's received the instruction from Daniel. He's heard the interpretation of the dream. This is what's going to happen. You are the tree. You're going to be hewn down. All this beast and all this, it's all going to happen to you, Daniel, or uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He says, so you need to stop doing the wrong and start doing the right. And the Bible says in verse 28, all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. What? Everything that was spoken in the dream, it, it all happened. Look now in verse 29. Look, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spake and said... Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power? I'm not emphasizing anything. And for the honor of my majesty. He had a pride problem. Daniel told him what he needed to do. Twelve months later, this is great Babylon. I'm quite responsible for this great great Babylon. My power, my majesty, I've built this. Blah, 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 blah. And the Bible says in verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. I want us to consider here for a moment. You've got to consider the period of time for all of this. 
Bible says it was at the end of 12 months. So in other words, from the time that Daniel had counseled him with the interpretation and how he should respond to the interpretation, from that time until this point in time, 12 months, a year, had elapsed from that time. The king, bishop, the king was given one year to stop doing the wrong and start doing the right. He was given a year to repent. Don't tell me that his mercies are not new every morning. None of us can sit in this place and say that we serve a merciless God. Had he wanted to, the moment that he knew the heart of Nebuchadnezzar and knew he wasn't going to do anything, he could have been turned into a beast, eating the grass of the field. But the mercy of God said, no, I'm going to give this thing a year. Pre-adventure, he'll stop doing the wrong and start doing the right. The mercy, the mercy, the mercy, the mercy of God. And so I want, you know, there's times in my life I look over my shoulder and see, man, God has really gave me an interim of time there to make that right. To seek a place in an altar of repentance. But not Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know. You know the Bible speaks of New Testament scripture about the word of God. That we look into it and we behold it. We behold ourselves as in a glass. We basically see you know the alterations that need to be you know made and changed. But we walk away and we forget what manner. A person that we've seen ourselves in his word as. And I think Nebuchadnezzar over a process of 12 years, you know, in that moment of everything shaken, you know, he was troubled, he was afraid, he was concerned. We have moments of time like that. Stuff happens in our life and we become afraid or fearful because we feel like we're not where we need to be with God. We're not living like we should be and a little fear enters our heart. But, you know, the further we get away from the initial impact, we forget the feeling we had in the moment. And Nebuchadnezzar, 12 months goes by, Oh, I was afraid and I had trouble, but here he is now. I built this city. It was my power and my majesty and all this stuff that comes about. He's a man that is still very much so harboring pride in his spirit. And the Bible even states later in, in Daniel 4 that even in the same hour, the same hour that he boasted, he found himself in a field as a beast. Amen. With the understanding of the beast. His human reasoning now has escaped him. It's not there. He's humbled. And that is exactly, everybody say exactly. That is exactly in accordance with Scripture. Proverbs 29 and verse 23. And I won't hold you much longer, but long enough. Just give me a few more moments here. Proverbs 29 and verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low. A man's pride shall bring him low. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Then cometh shame. Let me tell you something. God, in all of this, really showed off his abilities. Because we know by the dream, the tree was hewn down. But the Bible says that the stump, the roots, the stump, remained in the ground with a band of brass and iron around it. What that means was God wanted to illustrate to Nebuchadnezzar just how much power God had, how much control he had. He put this king in the field, a king of a grand nation in the field, grazing for seven years with a beast mentality, 
Amen. And the seven years that that king was in the field of beast, didn't they even have human reasoning? God kept his kingdom and throne still intact. That's unheard of. You don't have a king that goes away for seven years and there's not somebody new sitting on the throne. After there's, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's a pretty big enemy in a lot of people's eyes. Everybody's seeking to usurp the throne. You don't have a king be absent for seven years and at the end of those seven years, he come back and everything's still intact. He even has the loyalty, Scripture says, of his, his subjects. How can that happen? God ordered it. God kept that thing intact. What? Just to prove... To Nebuchadnezzar, by nature, naturally you would think this would not happen. I control the kingdoms. I control the kings. I'm going to have an everlasting kingdom. My dominion, amen, it has no end. And I want you to know, King Nebuchadnezzar, that there's an everlasting dominion, there's a kingdom that I have that's going to go from generation to generation, and I don't want, I don't, I don't have to answer to anybody. See, if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar is supposed to be the monarch. You remember? Remember that authority and that power and that government that's different from the other kingdoms? He's the man. He don't have to answer anybody. If he wants to make a law and then change it the next day, he can. He don't have to have a board or a government get together and decide indifferent. God says, my power is even greater than that one. I don't have to answer anybody either. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to jump so high or turn over when someone says turn over. I make up my mind I want to do it and I do it. And I do that which is even against what nature would say. I kept your kingdom around for seven years while you was an animal out grazing in the field. And you know just right now that I can humble the prideful because you were the king and now you're an animal in the kingdom. Folks, in essence this is exactly going to happen in the latter days God's going to humble the prideful rebellious system that has been existing since Nimrod that, whose spirit's been around that predated creation with Lucifer amen this isn't anything this isn't anything new this is something very 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 old if you'll stand with me tonight God hates pride God hates pride Amen. He does. He hates pride. What will pride do? Pride will do this. Pride will cause me and Brother Fred get in a fight and me not admit I had any wrong in the situation. Pride will protect me being right, even if I was wrong. Pride will. Yeah, it will. Pride doesn't like to admit it's wrong. And that's how I know we all got it. <laughs> that's how I know we all got it. Doesn't like to admit it's wrongs. Amen. But we can be delivered from that. We'll start next week in chapter 5, which we've delved in just a little bit. But there's going to be a change of hands. We're going to start looking at Belshazzar, one of the sons of Nebuchadnezzar, who began to reign. We still got a few chapters before we get real deep again <clears throat> into prophecy again. We're somewhere around chapter number 7. We'll get delving back into some of that. Amen. Let's bow our heads here. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.